Hey, do you love the show? Subscribe not to miss a thing. You can also rate and review at your favorite podcast player. Previously on Building Evelyn. The walk to the bus stop was short, but to Mary it felt like she had been walking for ages. The heat of the sun was beating down on her in sizzling waves, and Mary's clothes were drenched with her sweat. The excruciating pain of the contractions made it nearly impossible for her to continue walking and remain calm. When she finally reached the bus stop, the pain dramatically hindered her ability to sit still and wait for the bus to arrive. She wasn't sure how long it would take for the bus to arrive, but she knew for certain that she couldn't wait for the bus in her current state. Hello and welcome to Building Evelyn. This story is based in true events, but written with a bit of fiction. Each chapter of the story is written by a different writer, and each writer not only continues the story using real events and facts, but also puts their own twist on the previous writer's idea to keep the story moving. I am Jackie Passau, and chapter 6 was written by me. As Mathieu Farms, new gates continue to be open for the community to access the chapel. People continue to trespass, cutting through the neighbor's lot to access the nearby avenue more quickly. But Miss Jose's family continue to use the old gate in front of her house, since going through the favela was the fastest way to access the nearby avenue on foot. Peace and Evelyn would use the old gate to walk towards the bus stop, which was in front of Evelyn's school complex. She would hug him and wish him a good day before heading to the entrance of her school to begin her day. Evelyn loved her father very much. He spent time with her. He was attentive to everything she said. He hugged her and he never raised his voice towards her. Evelyn only knew the good side of her father. She wasn't aware that he was constantly drunk when he wasn't working or that he abused her mother. She was young and hadn't yet witnessed any of those things. Evelyn considered Peace her favorite parent and that was very apparent to Mary. Mary appreciated the delicate bond between father and child and didn't want to interfere, but she was still affected by the fact that Evelyn was so close to peace and not to her. Mary sometimes used Evelyn to help her deal with situations that involved peace, 
especially when he was heavily intoxicated. Peace had a horrible habit of yelling and shouting the worst insults to Mary. Every time he would do this, Mary would send Evelyn to check on her father instead of going herself, and this strategy helped make Peace calm down almost instantly. Whether Mary was bothered by Peace and Evelyn's relationship, or sour about something in her own life, she didn't have much patience to deal with her children. Peace would yell and call her names, and Mary would do the same thing but to the kids. She was trapped in this vicious cycle and didn't know how to escape. But she figured that if she could deal with each issue one at a time, she could overcome the curse. Perhaps, if she had a close friend she could talk to, she could let off steam about her daily life. But at the moment, all she had was herself, and she had to try the best she could. Mary continued to work from home, sewing the endless orders of trousers the seamstress would assign to her, and the sitter continued to help caring for Ellen, and now Elle. The teenager sitter who lived close to the farm was always gossiping, getting in trouble with all the teens in the area, despite the fact that her parents were ardent Catholics and didn't approve of her behavior in the slightest. She told Mary she knew the woman Peace was having an affair with and where she lived. She said the woman sold Jinjin, a frozen snack similar to freezer pops, but homemade. The sitter explained that she was hanging out with a couple of her friends when they decided to go buy some Jinjin and she went along. The woman's house had a hallway that connected to the living room where the girls were, to the kitchen. They were ordering through the window and they could clearly see the kitchen at the end of the hall. Peace was visibly sitting at a table, chatting with a mysterious person out of their view. The sitter said that as her friends were ordering, she watched Peace and he didn't notice her looking. Mary was so angry and she struggled to contain the brewing pot of flaming rage, ready to overflow. She didn't know if she was upset because she loved him and he cheated, or because this woman now has his attention and she didn't, or both. She tried to convince herself that she didn't care, but she knew deep down that she did. She thought about how careless he was, and having an affair with this woman in their neighborhood was humiliating. The more she thought about it, the more devastated and depressed she became. She couldn't possibly leave the house now. She had to be painted as a fool and she would have to face the neighborhood as one. Her husband was abusive and now a cheater, but she couldn't leave him. She had said till death do us part, and as a Catholic, it really was until death that you part, and she couldn't go anywhere. Later that day, Evelyn told her mother that she had a great idea. Mary didn't say a thing, and Evelyn told her from then on she was going to head to her grandmother's house after dinner to wait for her father, 
since he used that route from the bus stop. That way, they could walk and talk for a while like they do in the mornings. Mary didn't acknowledge her, so Evelyn did as she pleased and carried out her plan. For two hours, Evelyn waited on her grandmother's porch, glancing at the TV here and there through an open window, until her grandmother told her to go home and get herself ready for bed. Her father hadn't used his usual route, and he wasn't home either when Evelyn got there. She didn't understand why not, and was disappointed when she went to sleep. An hour later, Peace came home. Without saying a word, he sat at the table to eat and waited for Mary to serve him. Mary silently heated his dinner up, gave it to him, and left the room. Evelyn asked her father where he was the night before on their way to the bus stop the next morning, but he kept changing the subject, never answering the question. She went to wait for him that evening and he came on time through the small old gate. As they walked slow to the house in the dark night of the farm, stopping at the watermelon patch to tie his shoes, he told her that he was changing his route the next day. He decided to take a different bus that stopped at a different end of the neighborhood. Evelyn asked, Oh, so you are coming through the new white gates instead? I can sit at Miss Dora's bench and wait. I don't think she will mind. He told her not to, but the following night, she sat on the bench and waited anyway. Peace never walked by. Evelyn decided to go home after some time and arrived to see Mary holding the baby while yelling at Ellen, who was putting away freshly cleaned dishes. She looked at Evelyn as she walked into the kitchen and yelled, He doesn't care about you, Evelyn. While you were waiting for him on that bench, he was with his other woman and child. Evelyn looked at her mother in disbelief. Warm, salty tears slid down her cheeks. He wouldn't do that, would he? She thought. Evelyn went to bed, but she couldn't fall asleep. She lay awake, waiting to see what would happen when her father got home. Peace arrived an hour later. He walked in, removed his shoes, and headed to the kitchen where he placed his dirty lunchbox on the table. Listening to what was going on, Evelyn heard her mother walk into the kitchen and her father said, Heat up the food because I'm hungry. She couldn't hear what her mother's answer was, but she heard him loud and clear. When I tell you to do something, you do as I say. With a louder trembling voice, Mary said, If you want to eat this late, you heat up the food yourself. Then, Evelyn heard loud noises and couldn't understand what they were, and immediately felt a rush of fear. She began sweating, and she could feel her heart jumping to her throat. She got up from her bed and went into the kitchen. Her father was pressing her mother's face against the wall, and her mother was crying, her face red. When Peace saw that Evelyn walked in, he immediately let her go. What are you doing up? Go back to bed. Mary said softly to Evelyn, turning her back to the child so she wouldn't see her bruises and crying face. I heard noises and I think the baby did too. She probably needs you 
Because she is fussy in her baby hammock, Evelyn explained. Mary brushed past Peace and rushed to the girl's bedroom where Ellen and the baby were. Evelyn looked at her father's eyes, hoping he could feel the disappointment radiating from her, realizing she couldn't sense any remorse or guilt in his eyes. She went back to her room and found Mary sitting at the end of her bed. The room was quiet and the girls were sleeping peacefully, oblivious of the night's event. Mary looked at Evelyn and without saying a word, she thanked her. Mary's depression worsened. She couldn't focus on her sewing like she could before. She would stop midday and just stare at the wall. She stayed in, avoiding people at all costs for as long as she could. With her production numbers down, even the seamstress Mary worked for noticed something odd about Mary's behavior. She asked Mary when was the last time she left the house, and Mary told her she didn't remember. The woman paced in circles around the closed porch where Mary worked and took some money out of her pocket. She held both of Mary's hands, saying, Here, go to treat yourself to a manicure. I hear there is a really good gal on that direction, and pointed towards the path all the trespassers took through the neighbor's empty lot. The seamstress smiled sympathetically, took all the complete trousers from the basket on the floor, and left. Mary got up from the chair she was sitting in and left the house. Outside, she took a deep breath and looked to her right. The gate was wide open and the street was deserted. She looked to her left. The chapel was empty, just the breeze swaying the altar stable's arrangements. Just as she took a step forward to venture somewhere, she saw a person going towards the path and she waited for them to pass and follow them. Mary had never cut through the property before. She was usually the one agitated that people did. She didn't know how to get to the avenue from her house using the shortcut. She followed the person past the chapel and she saw them stop at the barbed wire fence that divided both properties. They picked up a thick piece of wood that was already resting by the gate and placed it in between the wires, propping them open wide enough for them to pass through. After going through the hole, they turned about to remove the wood, noticed Mary, and left the wood in place. She reached the fence and went through the hole, removing the wood and setting it on another wood piece for the next person. The person that was walking in front of Mary was no longer visible. She kept looking around the neighbor's land, paranoid about what would happen if the witches caught her cutting through. Would they punish her? Would they take her inside their creepy house? Or would they torture her outside for everyone to see? Just thinking about all the horrible things they could do to her heightened her paranoia and she started running. She wasn't paying attention to where she was running because she just wanted to make it through the stretch of land. She tripped over a tree root and fell on her knees completely disoriented and not paying attention to where she was going. She sat in the dirt 
her mind wandering off until she caught the whiff of the stench coming from the favela. She got up, brushed off the stray dirt from her knees and bottom, and looked for signs saying manicure. The shacks from the favela had their backyard facing this empty lot where she was, and the majority had no fence, just pieces of metal separating their small backyards. Mary started to walk closer to their backyards and noticed that one of the houses indeed had a sign written by hand that read, Manicure here. Mary looked around for the person that might own the house. Hello, anyone here? A woman appeared in the back entrance. Who's asking? Asked quizzically from the back door. Showing her cash, Mary said, Manicure? The woman smiled and signaled for Mary to follow her inside. Come on in, I'm Nazareth. There is no danger here. Come sit, I'll warm up some coffee for both of us. Mary felt welcomed and she relaxed, sitting down in a wooden chair positioned at the table. The two women bonded almost instantly and Mary spent a good two hours at Nazareth. It didn't take her that long to finish Mary's manicure, but Mary stayed talking to Nazareth about everything she'd been holding in. They talked about everything. Mary felt so relieved to tell things she had never told anyone, even to Nazareth, whom she didn't know that well at the time. When she finally was ready to leave, Nazareth said, What you need is to get out more. Have you ever thought about working outside your home? I heard a shoe factory just north of here is hiring people that know how to sew. Mary was intrigued and wondered if there might be something for her. She nodded in agreement and headed back home. The next day, Mary left the house as soon as the sitter got there. She cut through the neighbor's property just like she had done the day before. Like the trespassers she so detested and walked towards the avenue. She knew of two shoe factories north of her, so she walked towards them. At both factories, she talked to the managers, telling them that she had good recommendations on her sewing work. She explained that she was a fast learner and would be ready in no time for training. One of the factories liked what she offered and hired her on the spot, and Mary was genuinely happy for the first time in a long time. When she returned to the house, she took all the sewing materials to the seamstress and thanked her for everything. They agreed that the sewing machine would stay at Mary's in case she didn't get used to the shoe factory or if the seamstress had extra work and Mary could help. The seamstress was sad to see Mary go because her work was one of the best out of all her workers, but she was happy to see Mary doing something that would make her happy. Fernando was very impressed by Gracia's professionalism at the dinner celebrating the end of their training out of state. He also found her very pretty, but out of respect for her and their colleagues, 
he didn't try flirting with her, but he did, indeed, notice that she had no ring on her left hand. He didn't want to waste any time, and as soon as she left the dinner, he ordered flowers and a box of chocolate and sent it to her room. He was truly interested in her, as a professional and as a person. If she would let him, it would be a pleasure to get to know her better, and he was willing to put in his transfer to her branch just so they could be close and have a relationship if she wanted him. Esther asked her friend who Fernando was once they received the flowers and were enjoying the chocolates together, and Gracious told her about the gentleman at the dinner. He was one of the executives at the bank with lots of banking experience. She looked up to him and could only dream to be in his position at the bank someday. She still didn't understand why he was sending her flowers and chocolate, as she thought he was much older. Esther looked at Gracious, amused. Older men like younger women, you know? She exclaimed, laughing. The two women began laughing together at the ridiculousness of the situation. The two of them were extremely good friends, and they enjoyed hanging around each other all the time. Esther was glad that her friend was over her relationship with the married handsome fellow and was raising her child with the help of her family just fine. Thank God he and his wife never again showed up at the bank. The only one affected by this was the child, who won't have a present father growing up. Esther thought every kid needs a present father, and a boy especially needs his father growing up. It was so true in her own family. Her three brothers are great young men now after having a loving and respectful father. Esther lost her father five years prior to this date and missed him so dearly. The ladies were in Rio de Janeiro and they looked forward to their three days exploring the city. There were so many tourist hotspots to venture to but their concern was the outbreak of the dengue virus, which was the only conversation topic the whole time they were in training. Gracious and Esther decided to take it easy and stay away from places where the mosquito carrying the virus could be. The last thing they wanted was to take the virus back home. On their first day, they visited the Museu Nacional de Belas Artes. This National Art Museum was inaugurated in 1938 by the then-president Getúlio Vargas. So much history in this place. It was at this museum that King John VI left part of the Portuguese royal collection. Gracious loved the 19th century paintings, while Esther was captivated by the sculptures. They spent almost the whole day at the museum, but it came to a point when their stomachs were growling and they had to leave to get something to eat. After a little discussion, they decided to head over to Botafogo. Someone at the bank told them about a restaurant called Caravela do Visconde, a restaurant that had just opened and had great reviews. Their 8 kilometers taxi ride was short and they weren't able to enjoy the city street views only catching a glimpse of something intriguing every now and then. 
The line was long when they got to the restaurant, but there was an awning to shelter them from the sun. The smell of the churrasco, which is grilled meat, wafted over to the women and the others waiting in line, and their stomachs grumbled to the taste. Eventually, it was finally their turn to be seated, and they ordered their specialty dish, picanha, a sirloin cut, with a side of rice, fries, and farofa, which is toasted cassava flour, and a brahma beer. The next day, the women relaxed at Copacabana Beach. They packed a bunch of snacks and had a morning stroll on the popular mosaic walkway before choosing a place to set their beach towels. They loved the beach, and there was always so much going on. It was a great place for people watching. There were others relaxing in the sun, walking along the waterline, playing volleyball, beach soccer, and swimming in the water. The Sugarloaf Mountain was in the distance, as if begging for them to come visit, and they decided to go the following day. The neighborhood had so much to offer. They were able to deal with the hot sun for most of the day. When they were ready to leave the beach, they walked towards the famous Copacabana Place, a very traditional and elegant hotel in the city since 1923. They stood there in front of it, soaking in all its beauty in awe, before they headed back to their humble posada, the bed and breakfast they were staying in. There was a message attached to the door of their room when they got back. Gracious opened the envelope and read the card out loud. Ladies, I am off tomorrow and it would be a pleasure to show you the city if you allow me. Sincerely, Fernando. Esther looked at Gracious and said, We already have plans for tomorrow. We don't need a guide to go to the Sugarloaf Mountain. We have been relying on taxi drivers, and so far we haven't gotten lost. How did he even find us anyway? This is so creepy. Gracious continued, Let's find out. His phone number is on the note he left us. Gracious called Fernando back and respectfully declined his offer. She told him they were going to the Sugarloaf Mountain and were fine by themselves, but he kept pressing to go with them the next day. There are so many things I could show you on the way there that you won't be able to find on your own, Fernando tried to convince her. Oh, all right, said Gracious, giving in. Fantastic, you won't regret it. I'll meet you at the end of the road where the yellow flowers bloom. Have a good evening. Gracious turned to Esther with a pleading look on her face. I tried to say no, trust me, but he wouldn't take no for an answer. Besides, it might not be as bad as we originally thought. He seems like a genuine guy, she said, quickly trying to explain her decision. Esther rolled her eyes. It's all right. The next morning, the women woke up early, too excited for the day I had to sleep. We would better get going if we want to get everything in our itinerary before sundown, Esther said, grabbing her shoulder bag from the end of the bed. Gracious giggle and the two women went off, excited to see what the day would bring. The air outside the posada was warm and humid, 
with a hint of a salty scent. The breeze wisped the women's hair, tickling their cheeks. Once they met up with Fernando, he was very polite and Esta warmed up to him instantly. The ride up the mountain in the cable car was worth the whole trip. You could see the waves rippling in the ocean, the rich green leaves on the trees moving in the breeze, and the birds observing the humans from a safe distance in the sky. The sun was still low in the sky from the sunrise, so it was a mesmerizing color of gold that contrasted with the endless blue of the water beneath them. The bay was dotted with small white boats, awaiting their captain to take them out sailing on open waters. Fernando enlightened them on the history of the cable cars, and they took their time visiting each of the four steps. The first stop had locally owned shops and cafes with various options tourists could choose from. The group of three decided to stop at a cute bohemian cafe that had a limited menu of hot and cold beverages, freshly baked goods, and assorted native fruits. They ordered a chilled matcha, one for each of them, and left to look at two antique cable cars that were on display near the shops. One of the cars was from 1912, one of the original cable cars to ever travel the route between the mountains. The other was from 1972, when windows were just added to the cars. The second stop was the Sugarloaf Mountain. Gracious Fernando and Esther took pictures with Fernando's camera with a view of the bay behind them. The sights from the top of the mountain were stunning. The Bahia de Guanabara, Christ the Redeemer, and the view of Copacabana Beach with ascending mountains like a frame was unbelievable that sunny morning. All three of them just stood silently, appreciating the magnificent landscapes. After admiring the scenery and all its angles, they hiked to the summit to settle down and munch on the lunch of grilled chicken and farofa they had picked up at one of the restaurants at the first stop. They appreciated the other two stops like a delicacy and at Fernando's suggestions, they waited until dusk to observe the city lights turning on all in unison. Gracious experiences on that day had been the perfect way to close her trip. She really liked Fernando and was really glad they spent the last day together. He asked Gracious if she was willing to get to know each other deeper through sending each other letters and through phone calls. She agreed excitedly, due to her growing feelings for Fernando. In order to save on long-distance calls, Fernando requested to be transferred to Gracious's branch six months later. As time progressed, they found that they liked each other very much. Fernando was a gentleman, and Gracious's entire family liked him. One year after moving closer to her, he felt deep in his heart that he loved her and wanted to spend the rest of his life with her, and he knew she loved him too. Fernando loved Gracious' son and would love to be the father figure he knew he needed. 
he went to visit with Miss Josie and Jerry to ask for her hand in marriage, and they were delighted and blessed the engagement. Fernando invited Gracious to go back to Rio, saying he wanted to introduce her to his best friend Mario, when he actually planned to propose to her there. Fernando and his friend met while attending university in the state of Goiás, and he was the one who had convinced Fernando to move to Rio. Fernando took Gracious to Ipanema Beach on a breezy evening and proposed to her with the sunset in the background. She was over the moon with overflowing joy, ecstatic and shocked because the proposal had come as a surprise to her. She was truly in love with him and was so happy with the thought of spending their lives together. Upon their return, they threw a party to celebrate the engagement at the farm and invited her whole family. The catered food was fancy and there was champagne and a beautiful cake. Gracious showed Evelyn her ring which was different from anything she had seen before. Most couples in Brazil had ring bands to symbolize their engagement. They wore it on their right hand and on their wedding day they would switch it from the right hand to the left. Instead, Gracious ring was an engagement ring with a stone mounted on the band. The following months were full of excitement. The wedding planning was so thrilling and Fernando gave Gracious a generous budget. She wanted to get married at the chapel and have the reception at the farm. So half of the budget was to renovate the chapel, Miss Josie's house and the yard. The chapel got clay tile roofing and brand new wooden benches. Half of Miss Josie's house was renovated and the equivalent of that half was added to it. Outside, a cement patio was laid that measured about half the size of a basketball court. Gracious took care of all the other preparations while all this construction was going on. She made sure there were flower arrangements for the chapel and for the table centerpieces, quality catered food, a variety of beverages, a cake, the rental of the tables and chairs, and the selection of live music. Almost six whole months later, everything was ready for Gracious' big day. Fernando and Gracious invited their closest friends, co-workers, and Gracious' whole family. She asked one of her brothers to keep the gate open during the ceremony, but also that someone needed to be in charge of closing the gate during the reception. Peace gave Mary some money to buy fabric and sandals, and she added money to it from her savings jar, and with that was able to buy fabric to make nice clothing for her whole family and sandals from the local shop by the farm. The girls looked so cute wearing their creamy colored dresses. Peace wore a soft black linen shirt and trousers to match, and Mary wore a red blouse and a flowy skirt. They didn't look like what they usually did at all. If someone who didn't know them saw them, 
they might think they were just like any other put-together happy family. Gracious's wedding was the happiest day of her life. As her maid of honor, Esther was with her friend the entire time, and she helped Gracious with anything she needed the whole day. There was a special brunch at the house and afterwards, Gracious and her party secluded to one side of the house and Fernando's party on the other. Miss Josie was very emotional the entire day. She found it so touching that there was so much love at the farm. Father Antonio Braga would officiate the ceremony and Miss Josie would be in the altar assisting him with everything. It was an honor for her to marry her beloved daughter. While Gracious was getting ready, the preparation in her new kitchen was well on the way, as well as outside on the cement patio, where the tables had arrived and people were setting them up. Gracious' hair and makeup was natural and yet flawless, and her wedding dress was simple and elegant. When she was getting dressed, only Esther was with her. Esther told her she was very happy for her, and she wished their marriage to last a lifetime, God willing. She said she was glad things happened the way they did, and went on telling Gracious for the first time about her ex-married boyfriend's wife going to the bank and how she had to tell him to go away and never come back for the good of everyone. Gracious was astonished with the news. She looked at her friend and said, It was you? Tears rolling down her face. Esther pleaded, No, please don't cry and ruin your beautiful makeup. Don't be upset. Gracious, this day here was meant to be, and I am glad I was part of it. I hope to God you forgive me, but my intentions were good. That relationship wasn't good anyway. Gracious calmed down, looking at her friend and said, Why tell me now, Esther? I wanted to wait for an opportunity where I knew as a fact you were not going to run back to him. You are not going to do that today, are you? Esther asked nervously. Gracious laughed out loud and Esther joined her and they both hugged for a long while. No, I'm not, Gracious said. The chapel looked so beautifully decorated with the flowers from the entrance to the altar and the aisle was covered with a large gray rug on which Gracious was to walk on. Special lighting was brought up to the inside and outside of the chapel, making the environment feel magical, as if it was a scene from a fairy tale. All the guests arrived on time and took their seats on the brand new benches, and because Gracious had asked that the gate remained open, the wedding brought dozens of spectators, if not hundreds. Gracious slightly regretted her decision to leave the gate open when it came time to walk from Evelyn's house to the chapel. Walking through the multitude of people was almost impossible, so Peace and three of her brothers went in front of her to make sure people respected their sister's space. 
they asked them to make a way for the bride, and all of them did so kindly. Mary and the girls went first, and before following her mother, Evelyn took her aunt's hand and kissed it, saying, May Saint Mary bless you today. You look so beautiful. Gracious hugged her loving niece and said, You don't look so bad yourself, twirling the girl around. Evelyn giggled and went on after her mother and sisters, while Gracious stood up to walk to the chapel right after Evelyn. The ceremony felt like a dream to Gracious, her mother, and Evelyn. Beautiful gray lights brightening the evening. Everyone was smiling and crying tears of happiness, their tears shining in the light like glitter sprinkled on their faces. Time seemed to move in slow motion, and while everyone was caught up in the magic of it all, no one even noticed when the four brothers got up mid-ceremony to ask everyone who was not a guest to leave the premises. Some complained, but eventually they all obliged and left one by one, disappearing like seeds carried by the spring wind and leaving the space feeling as intimate as it was meant to be. Father Antonio Braga, with Miss Josie alongside him, continued officiating the ceremony. Fernando and Gracious, you came here to celebrate your matrimony. Is it of your own free will and with all your heart that you intend to do so? Yes. You who follow the path of matrimony, are you determined to love and respect each other throughout your life? Yes. Are you willing to lovely receive your children as a gift from God to educate them according to the law of Christ and His Church? Yes. Since it is your purpose to contract holy matrimony, join your right hands and express your consent in the presence of God and His Church. Gracious and Fernando joined hands and proceeded with their traditional vows, beginning with Fernando. I, Fernando, receive you gracious as my wife, and I promise to be faithful, to love, to respect you, in happiness and in sadness, in health and in sickness, all the days of my life. The priest continued, Confirm the Lord kindly the consent that you have shown before your church. Men cannot separate what God has joined. Everyone in the little chapel said Amen. Blessed and sanctified Lord, the love of your servants, Fernando and Gracious, so that by handing these rings to each other, as a sign of loyalty, remember your commitment to love through your Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, that is God with you, with the unity of the Holy Spirit. Fernando placed the ring on Gracious Finger, saying, Gracious, receive this ring as a signal of my love and my faithfulness in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Gracious placed the ring on Fernando's finger, repeated the words Fernando had just spoken, 
and just like that, she married in the chapel of her mother. It was enchanting, and they would never forget how special that evening was for all of them. The reception patio was ready when everyone walked from the chapel. A line of waiters wearing white shirts and red pants formed at the entrance of the space. They each were holding a large tray of all sort of beverages to cater to the young and the old. The music was playing, and when all the guests entered the space and found their table, the person said on the microphone, "Thank you all for being here to celebrate this special day. Please welcome the happy couple, Gracious and Fernando." They entered the reception area amid applause from everyone. They were so happy and full of joy. Building Evelyn's original story, narration and production by Jackie Pesau. This chapter was written by Jackie Pesau and edited by Karen Mara. Music by Clark James. You can listen to his amazing music on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. To learn more, visit ClarkJamesPiano.com or find him on Facebook or Amazon. I hope you find this podcast entertaining. If you are interested in contributing a song or to write the next chapter of the story, submit an email at info@buildingevelyn.com, and we will consider featuring it. If you want to get in touch with us, find us on WhatsApp at five one three five eight zero four five nine five. For more chapters. Listen on your favorite podcast player, our YouTube channel, or head over to our website, buildingevelyn.com. That is b l d g e v e l y n dot com. And while you are there, consider clicking the donate link. That would be so nice of you. <laughs>